Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. To Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, March 10th. I'm Leslie Palmer. And I'm Teresa Watson. Thank you for joining us. There is no love for Walgreens is the topic of our top story. Teresa celebrates Daytona Bike Week with our guest, Jorge Roque, with Nights on Bikes. Leslie's segment, Abortion in the News, is jam-packed with stories you won't want to miss, including five women who are suing the state of Texas because they couldn't get an abortion. Teresa will be discussing how former President Donald Trump fared in the CPAC straw poll and other political happenings in political news in a nutshell. Be sure to stay till the end when Leslie meets with Deacon Russ Woodard, who tells us how a baby was saved in Indiana. You almost have to feel sorry for Walgreens. When the Biden administration announced in January that it would begin allowing retail pharmacies to sell the deadly abortion drug Mifepristone, the nationwide chain joined competitors CVS, Rite Aid, and others in saying it would pursue certification necessary to be able to dispense the pills. Boycotts by pro-life groups followed. More than 100 protests across the country took place February 4th outside stores operated by all three pharmacy chains. 80 protesters from the pro-life group Live Action infiltrated a Walgreens shareholders meeting in Newport Coast, California on January 26th to let the investors know the blood of the unborn would be on their hands. Also last month, 20 Republican state attorneys general sent a letter to Walgreens and CVS to put them on notice that their plans to distribute mifepristone through the mail was, quote, both unsafe and illegal. The coalition noted that federal law prohibits anyone from using the mail to send or receive any drug that will be used or applied for producing abortion. Walgreens got the message, announcing last week that it will not sell the pills in those 20 states, including those where abortion has not been banned. Well, hell hath no fury like an abortion advocate scorned. Walgreens is now the target of a hashtag boycott Walgreens trend on social media. And even worse for its bottom line, abortion-loving Governor Gavin Newsom tweeted on Monday that California won't be doing business with Walgreens or any other company that cowers to the extremists and puts women's lives at risk. We're done, Newsom tweeted on Monday. On Wednesday, Newsom said he would not renew a multi-million dollar contract with the pharmacy chain. It's not known if he plans other retaliatory actions. National Public Radio points out that California would have the world's fourth largest economy in the world if it were an independent nation. That kind of buying power can take a sizable chunk out of Walgreens' profits. Walgreens did not respond directly to Newsom's intimidation, but on Wednesday posted a statement on its website that said, We want to be very clear about what our position has always been. Walgreens plans to dispense mifepristone in any jurisdiction where it is legally permissible to do so. Once we are certified by the FDA, we will dispense this medication consistent with federal and state laws. All of this is taking place as the nation awaits a decision from a federal judge in Amarillo, Texas, that could end the legal sale of mifepristone. Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, a Trump appointee, is expected any day to decide a case brought by pro-lifers who say the FDA's approval of mifepristone in 2000 overlooked safety concerns to do the bidding of then-President Bill Clinton. If the judge rules for the plaintiffs, the sale of mifepristone would be halted nationwide, at least temporarily. 
no matter how he decides, the case likely will end up before the U.S. Supreme Court eventually. Chemical abortion now accounts for more than half of all abortions in the United States, and despite often repeated claims from pro-aborts that it is safe, the so-called so self-managed abortion is dangerous for women. The pro-life Charlotte Lozier Institute, a research organization, has found that the rate of complications following chemical abortion is four times greater than surgical abortion. Abortion providers are already making plans in case the sale of mifepristone is halted. They will ask women to rely solely on the second drug in the two-pill regimen, misoprostol, to abort their children. What that means is that without mifepristone, which kills the baby, misoprostol will cause contractions that will expel babies from their mother's wombs while they are still alive, but dying. Dr. Ingrid Skop, Director of Medical Affairs for Charlotte Lozier said, misoprostol alone is dangerous for mothers, a fact overlooked by media reporting on the drug. Evidence from around the globe demonstrates that misoprostol alone is a poor abortifacient and very likely to cause women injury, she wrote on the organization's website. These recommendations by abortion advocates in the media demonstrate conclusively that their goal is not the safety and well-being of women, but merely the death of as many unborn humans as possible through expansion of abortion by any means. Daytona Beach Bike Week, also called Daytona Bike Week, is a motorcycle event and rally held annually in Daytona Beach, Florida. Approximately 500,000 people make their way to the rally area for the 10-day event. The festivities include motorcycle racing, concerts, parties, and street festivals. The event is usually held on the first week, full week of March, and contends with the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in South Dakota as the most popular motorcycle rally in the United States. The Daytona Bike Week rally started as the Daytona 200 race on January 24, 1937. This first race was a 3.2-mile beach and pavement course. It was won by Ed Krentz from California riding an Indian motorcycle with an average speed of 73.34 miles per hour. Today, the race is 200 miles and bikes hit speeds of over 200 miles per hour. In honor of Bike Week, I have with me Mr. Jorge Roque, who is a member of Knights on Bikes, a Catholic fraternal organization for motorcycle riders who are members of the Knights of Columbus. They are not a motorcycle club. Welcome to the show, Jorge. Thank you, Teresa. Well, it's good Thank to see you. <laughs> well, see you. Jorge, Jorge, please tell us about the Knights on Bikes and, and what is the mission of the group? Okay, so Knights on Bikes is a win within uh, the Knights of Columbus. The main requirement uh, to be part of it is actually to be a Knights of Columbus. Uh, this group in particular happens that we Knights that like to ride get together and enjoy that that sport. Uh, the mission of the organization itself is actually, or the group, is actually uh, evangelized within the Catholic community. And of course, whoever whoever wants to listen outside that community as well. Um, there is um, an important mission if you want to bring together Catholic men, uh, besides mass, besides the rosary, besides the spiritual world, uh, where we share, you know, Worldly things like riding a motorcycle, going two hours for a lunch uh, on a motorcycle, uh, but in a gut-centered spirit. So basically, we were founded in Texas back in 2004 
And, and again, we are just part of the Knights of Columbus. We just have motorcycles. Well, the Knights of Columbus is comprised of all men, correct? That's correct. That's okay. Correct. So do any females ever ride along with you? They do. Our wives, they usually come with us most of the time. They have their own vests as well. They don't belong to the group per se uh, as members. They can because obviously they're not Knights of Columbus, uh, female Knights of Columbus. But they have a different patch on their backs that says Knights, um, Knights on Bikes Ladies. So it's, a, it's the same logo of the Knights on Bikes, just to specify that it's a lady that accompanies the, the knight. Jorge, I noticed on the Knights on Bikes website that you participate in pro-life events. Can you give us some details about those events? Basically, what we do is that we show up either on motorcycles or at least dressed up like this. And um, we pray or counsel in front of the uh, abortion clinic, trying to save as many lives as we can. Um, and obviously, you know, we also support a pregnancy center, which are clinics that instead of looking to terminate an abortion or kill the baby, it's actually helping to uh, uh, have the mother cover all her needs or most of their needs so they can actually uh, deliver the baby. Um, in our local area, for example, here in uh, Punta Gorda, where I live, there was a pregnancy, um, an abortion clinic that we were for about a year praying every day, every day in front of it. I mean, I mean, the whole Catholic community was praying there. We also were there. And until it finally closed. Down in Naples, another clinic from uh, Planned Parenthood had a daily Catholic presence, uh, praying the rosary and counseling the, the women and, and also uh, her partners uh, to avoid or, or get rid of that idea of uh, terminating the abortion. And that clinic finally also closed. I think that the prayer, the constant prayer every day in front of those centers was critical besides, you know, uh, the impact of uh, anyone seeing men, women, children, bikers, praying in front of uh in front of that clinic i think that makes an impact as well in the minds of those that are trying to do it absolutely you know we know through our work here that uh, we we know from the the abortion clinics they don't like when we're out there praying and they say they admit their their numbers go down uh when we're out there but the fact that two pregnant two abortion clinics were closed that's amazing that's great news right so jorge why did you get involved with the knights on bikes um, I saw once um, uh, a few pictures on Facebook. Our local bishop was actually um, blessing the motorcycles of a group of Catholic men. And at that time, I actually was riding uh, with another group. And I, I contacted the group via Facebook, and I wanted to, uh, you know, how can I get involved? Because I noticed that obviously we have one more thing in common, not only the passion for the motorcycles, but also the faith. So that's how actually... I was able to uh, even uh, get into Knights of Columbus because at first um, that was actually my entry point to the Knights of Columbus, the Knights on Bike. So it was basically more like uh, I wanted to ride with men that have actually the same uh, likes, the same uh, mindset, the same spirituality that I do. Awesome. Well, Jorge, thank you so much uh, for all the work that Knights on Bikes and, and the Knights of Columbus are doing. Uh, we know you do a lot of pro-life work, and I know the Knights of Columbus fund um, ultrasounds for the pregnancy centers, and, and it's, right. it's so vital, so vital for saving babies. But where can men who are interested in finding out more about the Knights on Bikes or perhaps want to join you, where can they go to get information? Well, they can go to our, our Florida website. From there, we have links to the different other states and the national chapter. 
is uh, night uh, k o n b as in boy fl dot dot com that's nights on bike fl florida dot com you i think you have it on the screen as well so it's k o n b fl dot com perfect well thank you so much jorge uh we hope you'll join us again for an update on what the group is up to and uh, we hope to be able to maybe join you on a ride my husband rides and i'm a hugger on the back so we'd love to join you sometime i would love that <laughs> good night jorge good night Five women this week sued the state of Texas for denying them abortions they claim were necessary to save their lives. The women, all married and pregnant with wanted children, said doctors were afraid to treat them because of the strict abortion law that took effect after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Texas bans abortion unless there is a life-threatening physical condition aggravated by, caused by, or arising from a pregnancy that places the pregnant woman at risk of death or poses a serious risk of substantial impairment of a major bodily function unless the abortion is performed or induced. Texas Right to Life expressed sympathy for the women, but said their doctors could and should have provided them with proper medical care under the law. The pro-life group blamed the media and major medical organizations for staying silent instead of correcting the dangerous lies abortion activists are spreading. These doctors misunderstood or were misled on Texas law, the organization responded. If a doctor delays treating a miscarriage, ectopic pregnancy, or acting in a medical emergency, that is medical malpractice and completely inconsistent with Texas pro-life laws. The lawsuit does not seek to overturn the Texas law, but asks for clarification on the medical exceptions that allow for abortion. But the wall-to-wall -wall media coverage the suit has received could help the abortion industry and its advocates achieve their actual goal, convincing Americans that abortion is too important to ban. Abortion is legal until 15 weeks in Florida, making the state somewhat rare among southern states, many of which have banned the procedure. But on Tuesday, three Republican legislators introduced a bill to protect babies once a heartbeat has been detected at about six weeks. Filed on the first day of the 2023 Florida legislative session by Republican Senator Erin Grawl and her House colleagues Spencer Roach and Jenna Persons Mullica, the bill has exceptions for pregnancies conceived in rape and incest, but only up until 15 weeks. At a news conference following his State of the State speech Tuesday, Governor Ron DeSantis said he supports further restrictions on abortion, but noted that the state Supreme Court has yet to decide if the 15-week ban is constitutional. Priest for Life National Director Frank Pavone released a statement expressing support for the heartbeat bill. This bill will save thousands of infant lives, he said, and protect our state from being an abortion destination. Florida recorded a win against abortion giant Planned Parenthood this week when a federal judge reinstated a ban on state tax dollars being used to support abortion providers. The decision on Monday lifted an injunction that has been blocking the ban since 2016. Also in Florida this week, health officials permanently closed a Pensacola abortion mill that nearly killed three women in botched abortions. American Family Planning first was closed in May after the Florida Agency for Healthcare Administration uncovered hundreds of safety violations. The abortion facility is connected to notorious abortionist Stephen Chase Brigham, who has lost his license to practice medicine in several states, but has not let that stop him from performing abortions, including late-term procedures. It's not known if he was responsible for one or more of the botched abortions that health officials said nearly killed three women in a nine-month span in Pensacola. One woman required resuscitation, another had parts of her colon removed, and a third needed an emergency hysterectomy. A committee in the Arkansas Senate has advanced a bill that would create a privately funded memorial to abortion victims on the grounds of the state capitol in Little Rock. 
Bill sponsors estimate that between 1973 and 2022, at least 236,243 unborn children were killed by legal abortion in Arkansas. Most abortions have since been banned in the state since Roe v. Wade was overturned last June. A British woman who was arrested for praying silently in front of an abortion business, then acquitted of the charges, was arrested a second time this week, a day before the British Parliament approved legislation banning certain activities, including silent prayer, inside a 492-foot buffer zone around abortion mills. Violating the law is punishable by a fine, but there is no limit to how high the fine can be. Isabel Vaughan Spruce, co-director of March for Life UK, was acquitted last month after she was accused in December of praying silently outside an abortion business in Birmingham, where a local law prohibited such activity. Arrested again on Monday, she released a statement that said, only three weeks ago, it was made clear by the court that my silent prayers were not a crime. And yet again, I have been arrested and treated as a criminal for having the exact same thoughts in my head in the same location. Nobody should be criminalized for their thoughts. Organizations purporting to fight for human rights across the globe have issued an urgent appeal asking the United Nations to intervene in U.S. law to restore a national right to abortion. The U.S. is in violation of its obligations under international human rights law, according to a letter signed by 196 organizations. The letter writers want a U.N. delegation to visit the United States to give us a stern talking to, among other actions. Separately, UN General Secretary Antonio Gutierrez addressed the Commission on the Status of Women on Monday to say gender equality is, quote, vanishing before our eyes. Although he did mention a rollback of reproductive rights in some places, he also detailed actual human rights violations, including the erasure of women and girls from public life in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan and rape and sexual violence against Ukrainian women following the Russian invasion. Conservative political commentator Glenn Beck, co-founder of Blaze Media, has purchased the archive of historical documents related to Roe v. Wade. The collection was amassed by Dallas attorney Linda Coffey, who first launched the case in 1970. It was her hope that the documents would sell at auction to the next generation of pro-abortion leaders, but pro-life Beck was the successful bidder, spending $615,000 on the trove of 150 documents. And finally, a 1931 ban on abortion in Michigan is on its way to being repealed. Getting rid of the law was a top priority of the Democrat-led House and Senate in the state. The Senate voted on Wednesday to repeal the law, sending it to pro-abortion Governor Gretchen Whitmer for her signature. In November, voters passed a ballot initiative that enshrines abortion in the state constitution and effectively blocked the 1931 law from ever being enforced. Now it will officially be taken off the books. And that's Abortion in the News. As the race for the White House begins to heat up, former President Donald Trump emerged from the Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC, straw poll by a wide margin, potentially signaling that he could win the Republican nomination. 62% of attendees at the conference say they would like to see him win the nomination for the third time. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis came in a distant second place with 20% of the vote, followed by Michigan businessman Perry Johnson with 5% and former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley with 3%. The results, an increase from 59% at last year's conference in Orlando, Florida, signals that the former president may still hold tremendous sway over the party heading into the 2024 election cycle. In terms of the 2024 vice presidential nomination, CPAC attendees picked unsuccessful Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake with 20% of the vote. 
the House State Affairs Committee in Idaho passed a bill making it illegal for an adult to transport a minor across state lines for an abortion with the intent to conceal it from the parents or guardians of the minor. The penalty under the legislation would be between two and five years in state prison. David Ripley, executive direct director of Idaho Chooses Life, called the bill extraordinarily righteous. He said he'd heard rumors about national organizations arranging for transport of women and girls across state lines for abortions. He noted that the state can't prevent adults from traveling to receive an abortion, but there is an interest in protecting the rights of minors' parents. Ripley called the bill a brilliant solution to one part of the problem. Nora Morris of Planned Parenthood Alliance Advocates, Idaho, testified that it would inhibit young people from seeking health care that's legal in other states and punish the people trying to help them. As we all know, abortion is not health care. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis visited Southern California on Sunday, taking swipes at Governor Gavin Newsom in his own backyard amid a widening, widening Republican primary battle ahead of 2024. I know you guys got a lot of problems out here, but your governor is very concerned about what we're doing in Florida. So I figured I had to come by, DeSantis said, speaking before a crowd of over a thousand people at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library's Air Force One Pavilion and drawing considerate applause. DeSantis' visit to the Golden State follows two days spent in Texas fundraising for the Harris and Dallas County Republican parties and exactly one year away from Super Tuesday, when voters in both states will hit the polls to cast their ballot for a 2024 presidential nominee. While DeSantis has not officially entered the race for the Republican nomination, he is widely viewed as a potential favorite by many. A recent UC Berkeley LA Times poll released last week showed him leading former President Donald Trump by eight points in California's primary next year. In a statement issued on Saturday before his arrival, Newsom sarcastically welcomed DeSantis to the real freedom state. California residents are safer, healthier, and more prosperous than those unfortunate enough to have you as their governor, he said. Oh, by the way, you're going to get smoked by Trump. During his speech, DeSantis took the opportunity to draw a sharp contrast between his state and California, as well as other Democratic states like New York and Illinois. I think it goes back to this woke mind virus that's infected the left and all these other institutions, DeSantis said. I mean, think about the way they have governed the states. They put things like woke ideology over the tried and true principles that President Reagan stood for and that most Americans believe in. Following his speech in Simi Valley, DeSantis traveled south to Orange County to speak to more than 900 donors at the Weston Anaheim Resort in a closed-door event. We raised more money from this event than we've raised on any one-night fundraising event in the history of the Orange County Republican Club, Fred Whitaker, chair of the county party, said. So you could say the interest for Governor DeSantis is off the charts. White House campaigning has begun in earnest as GOP presidential hopefuls descend on Iowa to make their case to voters. Governor Ron DeSantis, Republican from Florida, and former South Carolina GOP Governor Nikki Haley were in the Hawkeye State today, and former President Donald Trump has teased a visit in the middle of the month. 
It's familiar ground for Iowa, which for decades has held the nation's first party caucuses each year. Iowa's caucus is scheduled for January 22, 2024, followed eight days later by New Hampshire. And that's political news in a nutshell. The 40 Days for Life spring campaign began February 22nd, and since then, more than 100 babies have been saved from abortion. The 40 Days team in Bloomington, Indiana, reached out to help a mom heading into a Planned Parenthood there, but she refused their help. The team, led by Deacon Russ Woodard, vowed to pray harder. The deacon is joining me this evening to tell us about how those prayers were answered. Welcome, Deacon Russ. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. So the abortion landscape changed this year after Kentucky mostly banned the procedure. And you told me that you spent several hours every Thursday praying outside the Planned Parenthood in Bloomington. Have you seen any changes there since Kentucky changed its laws? Well, we sure have. Um, we're, we're seeing, um, if, you, if you judge by the license plates, we're seeing probably at least half of the, the ladies coming to the clinic um, with Kentucky license plates. So it's, it's really changed the landscape. Yeah. And so can you tell us about the day you were approached by, I think it was the young woman's mother outside the Planned Parenthood? Um, sure. So um, we get there and sometimes we get there before the clinic opens in the morning. And this happened to be the case that day. And so um, the young woman and her mother um, were sitting there in their vehicle already. And um, they were just waiting for the clinic to open. And they had their um, windows cracked a little bit. And so as we do, whenever we can, we try to reach out and offer assistance. And um, so at first they just kind of ignored us. And finally, the, the mother of the young woman said um, to me, well, are you willing to adopt the baby? And I said, well, we have lots of people that would be willing to adopt the baby. And she said, no, I mean, do you, would you be willing to adopt the baby? And I said, well, if that's what it takes, I'll adopt the baby, you know, to save the life. And that was pretty much the end of that conversation. They, they went into the clinic um, and then they came out a second time. And um, again, we reached out to them and offered help. And, and the, the mother of the young woman said, I've tried to talk to her. I've said everything I could and, and she just won't listen to me. And I said, well, we'll pray harder. And so um, that's what we did. Um, we had um, a group that was praying a rosary and some other folks just, just praying on their own, and, and we prayed, and um, they ended up going back in the clinic, and then a little while later, I noticed that the young, the young woman, the mother, um, was standing outside talking on the cell phone, and before I knew it, her mother came out, and um, she said, she's decided to keep the baby. I guess, I guess the, the baby's dad had called the mother and said he was in tears, and he said, don't do it, We'll work this out. We'll figure it out. We'll do it. So um, we were we were overjoyed to to know that a baby had been spared. I bet you have. So this was, I think, your first your first save in Bloomington. Um, this was the first that one know. that I was there for. Yes, we, oh, okay. we've had other saves. We've had some um, people that have left, but they really haven't confirmed to us that that they changed their mind. So um, this was this was a delight and. Uh, I just owe it all to, to God and, and hearing our prayers. Yeah, that's fantastic. Congratulations. So why did you decide to get involved with 40 Days for Life? And how, how long have you been involved? I've been involved probably uh, 
about 15 years now. Um, when I first started out, I was in Indianapolis and um, I've, I've moved a couple of times. So I've always tried to find a 40 days for life location. Um, and um, I started coming to this Bloomington location about six years ago. And um, I got involved because um, life has always been precious to me. When I was growing up, um, I convinced my, my mom and dad to become foster parents to um, young children that um, their moms weren't sure whether to put them up for adoption or not. So um, in the course of 10 years, we had some 60 children go through our house. Wow. Yeah. And um, it just it just seemed right to me that I wanted to, to be there and pray. I started out praying and then eventually I, I got the courage up to start reaching out to the women and just offering help, any kind of help we can give them. Well, that is fantastic. And I, I thank you for everything you're doing and, and congratulations on this baby saved. Come back. Give come back glory and, to God. And come back and visit us again and tell us about other, other victories for life. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Before we close, we have some sad news to report. Mark Crutcher, the founder of Life Dynamics and a longtime friend of Priests for Life, has died. Influential for decades throughout the pro-life movement, he is perhaps best known for his 1996 book, Lime 5, a groundbreaking expose of the abortion industry, and the 2009 film, Mafia 21, Black Genocide in 21st Century America, which connected the dots between the eugenic roots of the birth control movement and the decimation of the black community through abortion. Mark was 75 years old and a resident of Denton, Texas. He is survived by his wife, Tulane, and daughter, Sheila. We'll have more on Mark's extraordinary dedication to, to the unborn on next week's show. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priests for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you will tune in every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We hope you will support this show and all of our broadcasts by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priests for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating the pro-life community to end abortion. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.